they provided an email communication which did not appear to mention Russian actors in it. Huh. Weird. And unreported. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Underreported, anyway. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1, in Palinville, New York on WLPP 102.9. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV 102.3. In Washington, D.C. on 105.5 FM. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the Progressive Voices channel. Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling action-packed adventure that we call The Bradcast. Uh, in yesterday's Green News report on this show... Oh, hi, Desi Doyen. Oh, hello. Speaking of whom. Yes, I am here. I know. Uh, I mentioned uh, how terrible our corporate media still is uh, during the uh, during the GNR, as, ev- as evidenced by Donald Trump's 40-minute news conference on Monday on the heels of God knows how many devastating hurricanes, the ongoing uh, crisis in Puerto Rico, the historic deadly fires out here in California, all after Trump had pulled out of the Paris Climate Accord and as his EPA chief, Scott Pruitt, the literally bought and paid for tool of the fossil fuel industry, announcing his plan uh, that he he will kill the clean power plan that was put in place by President Obama to try and mitigate the damage of hurricanes and fires fueled by man-made greenhouse gas emissions. With that as the immediate backdrop backdrop to uh, to Trump's Rose Garden presser on Monday, the U.S. corporate media could not come up with a single question, apparently, about any of those issues with which the uh, nation and the world will be struggling against and dying en masse because of those hurricanes, those fires, the worsening uh, global warming thanks to greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, the media couldn't come up with a single question on that, thanks to, you know, cal- Trump's calloused and corrupt Uh, or if I wanted to be kind, ignorant actions to harm the nation and the planet with those moves. Nobody pressed him on it. No, nobody. The media failed to raise the matter in any way with him. 
So the corporate media are, I believe, only somewhat better than they were when uh, when similar deference to the White House resulted in our nation going to war in Iraq. Remember that? Over a lie uh, after 9-11, a decision that was aided and abetted at the time by the media, which are still paying an incalculable price for that. We all are paying an incalculable price for that, for the media failure back in 2003 in the run-up to war. So I hope that doesn't get made worse with Trump's absurd plan to undercut the, uh, by all accounts, other than Trump's very successful agreement with Iran and six other nations that has made it impossible for Iran to obtain nuclear weapons. Trump is undercutting that agreement. He's saying he's going to leave it, despite all of the other nations saying the Iran uh, deal is working just fine. It has succeeded in what it would, what it had set out to do. Um, but, uh, by the way, there were zero questions pressing the president about that issue either on Monday, even though his announcement that he was pulling out of this agreement that had, you know, between seven different countries that had taken years to accomplish. No questions about that, even though his uh, announcement about it, full of Fox News fueled lies and propaganda and nonsense, was just last Friday. Well, uh the media have been reporting on that deal. Business Insider uh, used uh, th this turn of phrase. The deal, officially called the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, aims to incentivize Iran to curb its nuclear weapons program by lifting crippling international economic sanctions. New Yorker uh, reports, one afternoon in late September, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson called a meeting of the six countries that came together in 2015 to limit Iran's nuclear weapons program. Washington Post said the administration is also considering changing or scrapping an international agreement regarding Iran's nuclear program. This is all within just the past few days. CNN said in opening the nuclear agreement, Trump risks having I Iran advance its nuclear weapons program at a time when he confronts a far worse nuclear challenge from North Korea that he can't resolve. Uh, as fairness and accuracy in reporting re notes, the problem with all of those excerpts, Iran does not have a nuclear weapons program. It has a civilian nuclear energy program, but not one designed to build weapons. Over 30 countries do have uh, civilian nuclear weapons programs, but only a handful, including, of course, the U.S. and Israel, as they note, have nuclear weapons programs. Iran does not. Fair points out one is used to power cities, one is used to level them. And yet you've got Business Insider, New Yorker, Washington Post, CNN, all referring to Iran's nuclear weapons program. Fair notes that if you are skeptical, just after a 2007 assessment by all 16 U.S. intelligence agencies, uh, which uh, had found that Iran back in 2007 had, quote, halted its nuclear weapons program. Or, they say, you can look at the same national intelligence estimate uh, five years later, in 2012, which concluded again that there is, quote, no hard evidence that Iran has decided to build a nuclear bomb. Or they point out we can listen to Israeli intelligence agency Mossad, which concurred with the U.S. intelligence assessment way back in 2012. 
The Iran deal is built on curbing Iran's civilian nuclear program out of fear, fair or otherwise, that it could one day morph into a nuclear weapons program. But at present, there is no evidence, much less a consensus, that Iran has an active nuclear weapons program. Indeed, it is specifically designed to prevent such a program from developing down the road. Uh, the distinction they note between nuclear energy and nuclear weapons is non is non-trivial. Every time the media mindlessly report that Iran has a quote nuclear weapons program rather than a nuclear program or better a nuclear energy program or a nuclear power program, every time they do, they are further advancing the myth that Iran's intentions or ambitions are to build a nuclear bomb which we have absolutely no evidence that they intend to do. And have not had evidence for years. Not only that, we have had no evidence, they note, since the Ayatollah uh, Khamenei issued a fatwa against building nuclear weapons back in 2003. So we are 14 years down the line since the Ayatollah has issued a fatwa against building nuclear weapons and yet here we have just this week, Business Insider, New Yorker, Washington Post, CNN, all of these others talking about nuclear weapons program by Iran. Uh, Fair notes that another major reason for this recurring falsehood uh, was uh, noted after the New York Times had twice mistakenly, uh, apparently mistakenly, uh, accused Iran of carrying out 9-11. One of the smears, they say, went uncorrected for over three years. Uh, Pretty much, they note, you can say anything about Iran without any professional or public backlash for doing it because Iran is officially a U.S. enemy. And its motives are therefore always deemed to be sinister, no matter what they say. The idea that it is plotting to violate the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty and build a nuclear weapon, that's just simply taken as a given. And this is by Republicans and Democrats alike, as well as, yes, the U.S. corporate media. The lack of hard evidence for this is irrelevant. Fair notes, intentions of those in the crosshairs of U.S. power are always presented as cynical and malicious, while those of U.S. and its allies are presented as benevolent and in good faith. Iran's sinister motives are simply the default setting in the corporate media, no matter how much evidence points to the contrary. And that is true. And that point brings me to Russia and the default position that, as MSNBC's Rachel Maddow now routinely describes over and over and over again in the same multiple times in the same show, her assertion that Russia attacked the U.S. election last year. That is now, by and large, that's the default position of most of the U.S. corporate mainstream media and, of course, of the Democratic Party. Period. End of story. No need to dig any further. No need to check those uh, facts unless it is to find more evidence to suggest the very same narrative, which, by the way, may be true. It may be the case. But right now, the evidence, the actual evidence that we have uh, does not point to the fact that they attacked the U.S. election. We certainly know that Hillary Clinton attacked Russia and Vladimir Putin throughout the campaign. Verbally. Yes. Thank you. Describing him. uh, Yes. (laughs) 
describing him as a dictator, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, did the Russian government support Donald Trump over her? Well, I'm sure they did. Why wouldn't they? She was attacking them verbally. Uh, Trump was calling for friendlier relations with Russia. So did they have a side? Sure. Did they actually attack our election and our election systems? Well, more importantly, the question, uh, of course, is whether there was some sort of unlawful coordination by the Trump campaign with Russia. And as important, whether Trump or others violated the law by obstructing justice, whether Russia did anything or not. Obstructing justice is unlawful no matter what special counsel Robert Mueller does or doesn't find in regard to Team Trump and their coordination with Russia, if it existed or entities and people related to Russia, etc. That's what Mueller presumably is looking at with this special counsel investigation, along with other reportedly unlawful behavior by the campaign, its various players, whether they, uh, whether that un allegedly unlawful behavior had any actual effect on the campaign or the election itself. That remains to be seen. Even Rachel Maddow on last night's show, I was happy to see finally admitted that nobody knows what's actually going on with the uh, with the Mueller investigation, that they don't leak and that really all of the reports uh, are speculative as far as what they are or aren't actually looking at, what they're focusing in on. But as with Iran's nuclear weapons program, as the media calls it, which even though they don't have one, or with Iraq's weapons of mass destruction, which they didn't have, skeptical reporting that questions the facts of this default narrative, those questions are, are often just ignored or marginalized. You can just ask the folks at Knight Ritter, which is now McClatchy. Those folks had reported over and over again on the intelligence information in the run-up to the war in Iraq, uh, revealing that no, Saddam did not have weapons of mass destruction. And the entire storyline, uh, to the contrary, was created because the George W. Bush administration back then wanted war with Iraq, period. And they were able to use the 9-11 attacks to intimidate media and Democrats uh, alike into compliance with their plan. And you know the rest of the story uh, there by now, I hope. Which brings us uh, to the story that I'm sure you've, you, many of you may recall from two or three weeks back. It ran everywhere. Uh, for example, as the uh, the Hill headlined it at the time, uh, DHS tells 21 states they were Russian hacking targets before the 2016 election. The uh, Department of Homeland Security, this is how the story starts, the uh, DHS notified 21 states Friday that Russia attempted to hack their election systems before the 2016 election. A lot of headlines uh, on that story. I'm sure you remember them. And, uh, well, why question it? Of course they did. It was Russia. They attacked our election last year, after all. Have you not heard? Well, uh, in this story in The Hill, for example, Senator Mark Warner, the Democrat from Virginia, he's the top Democrat on the Intelligence Committee that is uh, investigating all of this. He responded to the information uh, from DHS about Russia hacking 21 states uh, with a statement. He said, quote, it's unacceptable that it took almost a year after the election to notify states that their election systems were targeted, but... I'm relieved that DHS has acted upon our numerous requests and is finally informing 
the top election officials in all 21 affected states that Russian hackers tried to breach their systems in the run up to the tw- uh, to the 2016 election. Uh, you'll remember those kind of stories, right? They were all over the place. Uh, Here's how Reuters reported it. Wisconsin, Ohio, California, and 10 other states said on Friday they were among 21 states that Russian government hackers targeted in an effort to sway the 2016 presidential election in favor of Donald Trump. The Department of Homeland Security confirmed it had notified the states of the activity but declined to identify them. Russia has denied election meddling and President Trump has denied any collusion with Russia. Alabama, Alaska, Colorado, Connecticut, Florida, Minnesota, Texas, and Washington state also confirmed they were told that they were targeted by Russian hackers, but said they were not successful. Arizona and Illinois confirmed last year that they were targets. The AP confirmed Iowa, Maryland, North Dakota, Pennsylvania, Delaware, Oregon, Oklahoma, and Virginia were also targets, bringing the total states identified to 21. Wisconsin very important state in last year's election. You'll recall Wisconsin Elections Commission Administrator Michael Haas said Homeland Security told the state that, quote, Russian government cyber actors targeted state voter registration systems. And, of course, we don't have access to the information that DHS has. Uh, Maybe that is exactly what happened in 21 of those states, or at least in some of those states. We don't have that information. But then, after this headline had gone out, Russia hacked 21 states, after that had blared its way across the media and cable news, a few cracks in the story began to come out. Those cracks, however, were far less reported, and maybe you haven't heard about it. Still to this day, they're far less reported, because it's now just the default position in the media that Russia tried to hack elections in 21 states. First, uh, the AP had cited uh, Oregon Secretary of State saying that there was no intrusion into their system. The state's chief information security officer said uh, to AP, we block upwards of 14 million attempts to access our network every day. 14 million attempts. She said these attempts come from all over the world, including Russia, with the largest number coming from the U.S. Yes, coming from right here inside the house. Uh, So that was one crack uh, to the skeptical reader of uh, what was uh, 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 in these stories. And then a few days later, about four days later, this from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. The Federal Department of Homeland Security reversed itself Tuesday and told Wisconsin officials that the Russian government had not tried to hack the state's voter registration system last year. Oh, really? Instead, Homeland Security said the Russians had attempted to access a computer system controlled by a completely different state agency. Juan Figueroa, member of the Homeland Security election infrastructure team, On Tuesday, told state officials, this is back in uh, late September, told officials by email that Wisconsin's voter registration system had not been targeted in a hacking attempt after all. He said Russians had tried to access a computer system run by the Department of Workforce Development, a totally different uh, department than the Department of Elections. So someone tried to access Department of Worksource Development System, Milwaukee Journal uh, Sentinel reported uh, in late July of 2016, according to a timeline released by the state's chief information officer, 
He compared the attempts to a burglar checking the locks on the door to see if they were secure. Uh, on Friday, this was uh, on Friday, the day that these uh, 21 states were informed, Homeland Security officials told Wisconsin Election Commission Administrator Michael Haas that hackers working on behalf of the Russian government had attempted to get into Wisconsin's voter registration system. Those officials told him to follow up with Figueroa, that DHS agent, uh, Haas spent the following several days seeking more information and on Tuesday was told that the computers that the Russians had tried to hack actually belonged to the Department of Workforce Development, not the Election Commission. Haas was invited onto MSNBC uh, that day on Ari Melber's show to discuss why it took DHS so long to inform state agencies about any of this, about a year, that 21 states had been hacked or attempted to have been hacked. Uh, by, remember, the Russian government, according to Reuters. That's when uh, Melber apparently learned the news from Haas that the supposed hack in Wisconsin, in any event, wasn't quite what it was originally reported as. So they tell you this Friday, and then when did you later hear from them that they got it wrong? Well, we wanted to find out exactly what was communicated last October. Mm-hmm. Um, yesterday, they provided an email communication which did not appear to mention Russian actors in it. We asked for follow-up after they investigated further. They informed us late this morning that, in fact, the IP addresses that they were looking at were were scanning a different state agency in Wisconsin or attempting to scan a different state agency in Wisconsin, not the elections agency. Yeah, make sure you understand it, Ari. And then make sure to not mention it really again uh, in the month thereafter. MSNBC was informed that there may be problems with the DHS report, at least to that one state, to Wisconsin. Though I've seen little or no follow-up of that. And uh, the storyline that uh, Russia tried to hack into at least 20 states, that continues to this day on MSNBC and throughout most of the corporate media. I had uh, reported on the question about Wisconsin uh, when it actually came up, and I heard uh, you know, about the fact that DHS had said, no, nope, sorry, we got it wrong. Some listeners had, uh, had responded to, to the show where I mentioned that right off the bat uh, and uh, you know, basically saying someone from the Trump administration must have gotten to DHS to force them to reverse the story. Well, maybe. More often, uh, I I heard from folks after that show, well, that's the far right-wing Republican Scott Walker's Wisconsin. You can't trust their election officials. All right, maybe that's true. I have found Michael Haas uh, over the years to be a fairly straight shooter, even when I've disagreed with what his commission, uh, which used to be uh, much more nonpartisan, by the way, was called the Wisconsin Government Accountability Board. Now it's the Wisconsin Election Commission. Uh, But I found him to be a fairly uh, straight shooter over the years when we've been covering elections here uh, at and on Bradblog.com. But maybe it is a partisan thing. Wisconsin, after all, reportedly flipped from Democrat to Republican last year in the presidential election by a tiny margin for the first time in decades. And then they refused to allow a hand count of ballots in most counties after the election even when Green Party presidential candidate Jill Stein had filed for one. So maybe, yeah, maybe Republican, uh, you know, it's a Republican state. They're, they're defensive about it. But what about out here in California, which is anything but Republican? Well, our Secretary of State, Democrat Alex Padilla, also sought further information from the Department of Homeland Security. And guess what? 
Uh, he put out a statement afterwards. He said, last Friday, my office was notified by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security that Russia cyber actors scanned California's Internet-facing systems in 2016, including the Secretary of State websites. Following our request for further information, it became clear the DHS conclusions were wrong. Quote, DHS confirmed that Russia scanning had actually occurred on the California Department of Technology statewide network, not any Secretary of State website. He went on to say that uh, he was uh, not happy that the information came a year late, but that it also turned out to be bad information. For the record, uh, The Hill reported at the time of its statement that DHS is standing by its assessment of California. But at this point, who knows? My point is skepticism is in order, particularly with something as serious as a potentially stolen election. Anybody who has listened to this show for two seconds or read two sentences at the Brad blog over the years knows that I ain't no Donald Trump fan, but I am a fan of accurate information so that we can act on it appropriately. I've also been warning uh, for years about the vulnerabilities of our electronic voting and tabulation systems and the reg registration systems for 15 years now. I've noted many times that while the DHS has said over and over again that no votes were changed last year by any hackers, that they don't actually know that. Because, as they also admitted over this past summer, they never bothered to actually check any voting machines or tabulators. Nor did they bother to count any ballots to make sure that the systems tabulated them correctly. So media need to be skeptical, even about claims that Russia attacked our elections last year, even if it's not popular to question that default assumption right now in this country. And by the way, uh, Ron Wyden, senator, is also uh, questioning that uh, notion that uh, no votes were changed last year. He pointed out uh, just a week or so ago to uh, Mother Jones that uh, nobody checked the machines. Nobody knows. Which is what we have been saying over and over again on this show since November 9th, the day after the election. Nobody knows whether Russia or China or ISIS or North Korea or France or Great Britain or Joe Schmo in Little Rock, Arkansas or any election official in Cleveland, Ohio. Nobody knows whether they manipulated the results of last year's election. Because nobody bothered to check. And in the meantime, we're now barreling towards the 2018 election, and most states are using the exact same vulnerable systems. So what is DHS doing about that? They have now declared U.S. election systems to be critical infrastructure in the U.S. What does that mean? We'll try to figure that out after this break, when we'll be joined by a longtime election official from out here in California who is now part of a new DHS commission on our election systems, which met for the first time over this past weekend. What's that about? We'll find out. And uh, will the media bother to notice? Much less report on all of this accurately. That's next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away.
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Uh-huh. You can't count on me like one, two, three. I'll be there. Well, I will be. And I know when I need it, I will can our count on voting systems be there? Will they be up and running? Will they be manipulated? Will we even know if they are? Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. In a statement released on Saturday, yes, Saturday, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security announced that they had joined the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission, that's the EAC, and the National Association of Secretaries of State, as well as state and local officials from around the country to, quote, convene the first Government Coordinating Council, or GCC, for the Election Infrastructure Subsector. That's a lot of acronyms and, uh, and big words. But you'll recall, hopefully, that last year, in the final months of the presidential election, when concerns of foreign hacking of our domestic election system was seemingly finally noticed by federal officials, after all of our years of warnings here on the Bradcast and at bradblog.com about both foreign and domestic threats to such systems, Last year, then-U.S. Secretary of Homeland Security under President Obama, Jay Johnson, had called for the nation's elections and registration systems to be declared critical infrastructure. That designation, which was made official by Obama in January before he left office through a presidential policy directive, means that, as I understand it, federal resources will now be made available to state and local officials to help safeguard their electronic voting, tabulation, and registration systems. The systems that are now firmly at the heart of our public electoral system in all 50 states, whether I or other election integrity advocates like it or not. We have uh, long warned about the vulnerability of such systems, and not only by foreign state actors, but also domestic actors and even election officials themselves in lieu of public oversight of such systems. And it is impossible, virtually impossible, if not impossible, for the public to oversee Computer systems, what goes on inside those systems, whether it's voting, tabulation, or or even voter registration. Saturday's initial meeting of this newly established GCC shows the seriousness with which federal officials, uh, federal, state, and local officials take the threats to election infrastructure and the level of cooperation taking place to address it. That, according to Bob Kolaski, acting deputy undersecretary of the DHS National Protections and Programs Directorate, in this uh, DHS statement released over the weekend, he said state and local officials have already taken a number of steps to improve the security of the nation's elections and under the government coordinating council. 
we will be able to further leverage resources and our collective expertise. The security of the nation's elections are critical to our democracy, he says, and DHS stands ready to support this important mission through exercises, information sharing, and technical cyber analysis and expertise. The statement goes on to say that in January, DHS designated election infrastructure as a subsector of the existing government facilities critical infrastructure sector. The designation did not create any new regulations or directives, but instead enabled DHS to prioritize cybersecurity assistance to state and local election officials who request it. Made clear domestically and internationally that election infrastructure enjoys all the benefits and protections of critical infrastructure, that the U.S. government has to offer, and uh, this designation enabled full and frank discussion between DHS and key stakeholders regarding sensitive vulnerability information. That, according to the DHS press release over the weekend. The new GCC for election infrastructure subsector includes 27 state and local officials from around the country. One of them, Neil Kelly, longtime registrar of voters out here in Orange County, California, joins us today. Neil has served as the registrar of voters for Orange County in Southern California since 2005. That's about as long as as I've been covering uh, our election infrastructure at the Brad blog. He is uh, past president of the National Election Official Association and past president of the California Election Official Association. He currently serves on the U.S. Election Assistance Commission's Board of Advisors as well. And now it seems the DHS GCC for election infrastructure as well. Neil Kelly, I I know you've been on the road today, so I'm extra especially appreciative that you're taking the time out to join us today. Thanks, Brad. Glad to be here. Neil, you have been for years... A, uh, a, a reliable source at key moments before, during, and after elections, good ones and bad ones and, and otherwise. And even though I'm no fan, I'll put it out front, I'm no fan of the particular voting uh, systems that folks in the uh, Orange County still have to use at the polls on Election Day, uh, you have been always very helpful. So I am greatly appreciative of uh, you joining us today on the air after all of these years. Thank you for those kind words, and uh, and I understand uh, we may not always agree, but that's okay. It is indeed. All right, we have heard a lot about the so-called Presidential Election Integrity Commission, which many describe as a, as a voter suppression commission. That one was formed by President Trump and headed up by uh, controversial Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach. Uh, what is the difference between that commission uh, that's gotten a lot of publicity and this one under uh, under DHS, which has gotten much less attention? That's a good question. So there's actually very specific differences to the two, and and the commission itself is really focused uh, at the end of the day more so on voter registration issues and how those those systems uh, interact internal to each state as well as how they could perhaps share data nationwide and, and what are the vulnerabilities within those systems from the standpoint of individuals who may not be eligible to to vote that mm-hmm. may be on those registration systems the the dhs gcc is, really has nothing to do with that um the the focus uh 100 is on the vulnerability of systems in general from outside intrusion outside attacks 
uh, and that could include physical as both cybersecurity um, as well. And how are members of this commission, uh, this DHS commission, uh, how are how are they uh, how are they chosen? Who who named you, for instance, and the mm-hmm. other twenty seven officials? Right. So there was a, a, a working group that got together about three or four months ago, and the EAC worked with DHS to come up with names within the industry, uh, people that were active in leadership roles, and, and that was the reason I was on the working group, mm-hmm. was because I've been in leadership roles for some time nationwide. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way that I was appointed after the charter was established and, and confirmed, uh, there were several organizations that had the authority to appoint an individual to that GCC. So I was appointed on behalf of the Technical Guidelines Development Committee through the AC. So I don't represent the TGDC. Um, it's just that the TGDC puts my name forward for a spot on the GCC. The, and, and the TGDC is which one again? That's the... Right, sorry, that's the Technical Guidelines <laughs> Development Committee. Uh, it, it is under the auspice of the EAC and works on the voting system guidelines for nationwide development. Okay, I think I got that. Are there others? Uh, <laughs> Mouthful, sir. It is. Uh, are there others beyond uh, election officials on this particular DHS commission? For example, uh, the DHS press release over the weekend references a forum in which the government and private sector entities can jointly engage in a broad spectrum of activities to support and coordinate critical infrastructure security. Are, are private voting machine vendors a part of this effort in some fashion? Not part of the GCC. Now, the way that this is working is DHS is aligning this just like it works in other subsectors of critical infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, dams, airports, healthcare, etc., use the same model. You have uh, a sub-sector coordinating council, which Mm -hmm. is made up of private sector folks, and then you have the government coordinating council, which is strictly the election officials, secretaries Mm -hmm. of state. So there are no private vendors that would be a part of the GCC. And similarly, then, no uh, members from non-NGO, non-governmental entities like election integrity folks from the public, like Verified Voting, Brennan Center, and so forth, are they in any way a part of of this effort, the, many of them have been calling for these very improvements that uh, folks are so concerned about for many years. Yeah, not not a part of the GCC, but they could certainly, I'm sure, be a part of that uh, subsector coordinating council, mm-hmm. which is is going to follow this GCC effort in just a few weeks or perhaps a month or two. Um, so I'm sure that would come together pretty quick. The critical infrastructure designation, which was made under President Obama, apparently that is still in place. I'm happy to see. Are there concerns, or or, or did that come up uh, over the weekend at your meetings, uh, that this is another one of these legacies of uh, President Obama that President Trump may decide to scuttle once he notices that it actually exists? Yeah, you know, there weren't those discussions, uh, and and I certainly stay out of those politics. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that the designation was made in January after the president was elected, but um, right before he was inaugurated. Right, that's a concern. Yeah, and and I'm not sure how that interaction works with DHS. I I defer to them. Um, But I can tell you that that DHS uh, is very supportive and is Mm -hmm. is in 100%. I mean, I've been very impressed with interactions with them. So what does it practically mean for election infrastructure now that it is declared as 
to, to be critical uh, in a practical sense? What sort of resources now uh, will be brought to bear by the federal government here that would were not being brought to bear previously? Well, that's a great question. You know, we and we asked not only on the working group, but as our first meeting of the GCC. Well, wait a second. Weren't elections critical ten years ago? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, why is why is it different now? Right. And certainly, I mean, obviously, the events of 2016 elevated that. I mean, you know, that's that's pretty easy to understand. But um, what this does is it it brings the resources of multiple federal agencies together mm-hmm. with local and state election officials to work on a number of things. It could be anywhere from communication, information sharing, uh, education, training, et cetera, to work to secure the systems. And that, that coordination was not taking place before. And on top of that, um, the members of the GCC will be going through the process to obtain a security clearance through the federal government so that we can have intelligence and information sharing shared with the group as well. So that that is just, you know, a huge leap forward from where we were just, you know, a year ago. There were there were there were concerns from from some when all of this came up last year, uh, many on the right in particular, but uh, even others as well uh, about the the feds, you know, the, the feds poking around in state and local elections, which are generally, according to the U.S. Constitution, supposed to be the domain of the states, not the federal government. And some, as I said, even in the election integrity community had uh, incorrectly, in my opinion, but they had uh, described concerns uh, that this was, you know, some sort of a federal takeover of elections. Uh, You are, Neil Kelly, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I think a Republican, if I recall. Uh, Are there anything to those concerns that were coming from both uh, the right and the non-right, we'll say, uh, last year when this first came up? Yeah, I think there were legitimate bipartisan concerns. I mean, the the issue was just as you described it. And, you know, in fact, the National Association of Secretaries of State in their press release over the weekend acknowledged, hey, look, we still took a position against this. Um, that doesn't mean we're not going to work together to try and move things forward. I, there's been a lot of healthy dialogue and discussion during these series of meetings. Mm-hmm. And I, I think to the credit of some folks on the federal side, you know, they acknowledged, hey, look, let's we realize that it didn't have a smooth start. Let's try and start over and, and work fresh. And they have been very clear in their communication that that they have no intention of moving beyond what the charter allows. And if you talk to some folks from other sectors, banking, healthcare, et cetera, they have not seen that same kind of you know federal encroachment. Now, I think it. I think time will tell, right? So mm-hmm. we need to, to, I believe, give it a chance and see how this is going to work. Um, several weeks ago, DHS informed 21 states that they believed Russia had been attempting to hack into their voter registration systems. But uh, after several states, including Wisconsin and California, the Secretary of State out here, Alex Padilla, uh, sought more details from DHS they were informed that it was actually not the election uh, system or the voter registration system, apparently, that had been targeted, uh, but it was other state agencies. This information came uh, almost a year after the, uh, the the concerns first came up. The, then the states were uh, were contacted. Uh, they, so they found out that it was other state agencies and apparently that the link to the Russian government was somewhat less than ironclad. Now, I know you're uh, not the Secretary of State out here in California, but do you have any idea 
uh, if California's or Orange County's voter registration system was actually breached last year by anybody, much less the uh, Russian government. Well, so I can I can speak to Orange County, of course, mm-hmm. and I can tell you emphatically it was not breached by any mm-hmm. uh, organization, individual, nation, state, etc. Um, now, scanning activity takes place on a daily, weekly basis across the country, and I think it's an it's really important to point Sc- out. Scanning meaning Neil, you mean uh, people attempting uh, outsiders attempting to get into various systems? Yeah, and generally these are, are bots that are out there doing this. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, uh, throughout the day, right. uh, every day. Yep. And so uh, that's important for us to, to always work to secure our systems and prevent against an intrusion, you know, when these bots are, are, are coming at us. But um, that's it in terms of, of where we were at with Orange County. And I've got to give credit to the folks on the federal side because we've been working closely with the FBI and DHS um, in Orange County long before the general election in 2016. So there's some things I can't talk to you about, but I can tell you that that, that partnership and that ongoing security effort uh, continues to this day. What can't you talk to me about, Neil? <laughs> well, what I can't talk to you about is what are the specific steps that are being taken on a daily basis to prevent an intrusion. Right. You know, that goes down to the security level. Right. That's really all I'm talking about, Brad. I'm not talking about you know, who's coming after us. No, 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 I got you. I, I'm just, yep. well, actually, I mean, this sort of gets at another one of my concerns. And again, I realize you don't speak for DHS, but I'm wondering if any of this came up. Uh, you know, in, in a Senate hearing on all of this last uh, July, I think it was, the DHS admitted that they had not actually examined the voting systems, any voting machines. Um, they hadn't counted ballots and so forth after the election. Um, given the concerns that DHS has expressed, it seems odd that there's been no actual examination of the voting systems to find out, you know, what may or may not have been manipulated in some fashion. Do you have, did that come up at the meeting? Do you have any explanation for why even still to this day, they haven't examined actual voting systems? Yeah, I, you're you're right. Thank you for prefacing all that by saying I can't speak for DHS, right. um, and I, I can't. Uh, so I don't I I don't really have an answer for you. I mean, I can tell you that when it comes to our election night reporting system, our voter registration system, any public facing system, mm-hmm. um, not when you're in the polling place and there's there's no network connections, but um, that is an ongoing effort with DHS and FBI and other partners. Um, and, you know, I've been an advocate, and I'm, I'm, I think you've heard this over the years, mm-hmm. for increased, you know, auditability and, and risk-limiting audits and expanding the audit, audit program. So um, I think that's, that's critical and it's important. Should, should these systems, as you see it, be not just the ballots audited and, and checked and so, uh, and so forth, but the actual voting system, should there be some sort of an examination whether it's by public or state or uh, local officials, of the actual machines after an election just to, you know, assure there were no intrusions, because I suspect a lot of times this this could happen, and election officials would simply have no idea that it actually occurred. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think you're going down the wrong path. I mean, I think to the extent that uh, programs or some sort of auditability can be established post-election, mm-hmm. and maybe that's done through the, the GCC and, and, and recommendations could be made. Um, yes, please. Again, I, I, <laughs> my, my point is is that, you know, first of all, transparency, continued 
auditability of these systems is critical. You're not going to get an argument from me on that. Right. Well, uh, good. I, and I do hope that comes up at GCC because it's still uh, I'm still scratching my head when I hear all of these claims about all of the and all of this investigation about what happened last year. And here we have the actual evidence in the form of, you know, ballots and voting, uh, voting machines, tabulators uh, and so forth, which don't seem to have been examined at all. I'm still very puzzled by it. I'll just I'll leave that there for the moment. You're also a member of the uh, U.S. Elections Assistance Commission's advisory board. Uh, I have been very—I've been highly critical over the EAC, of the EAC over the years for a bunch of reasons, uh, including their failure to adequately document the many vulnerabilities of the nation's voting systems that you know are now being. Uh, there's concerns that they are actually being exploited. Uh, nonetheless, they're the only federal agency currently tasked with overseeing standards and uh, federal certification of U.S. voting systems. And yet, Republicans in Congress have continuously voted to defund the EAC out of business. Do you believe that the EAC remains necessary and should be given proper funding to continue their particular mission? Yeah, I, I've got to tell you, and you know, I've heard the, the debate um, for quite a while on both sides, of the issue, and I just, from an election official's perspective, the EAC I think does a tremendous amount of work and and good work because they are assisting election officials in many ways, and that that standards process and what's coming out with the new voting system guidelines that has, by the way, taken years yeah. to to develop is is really positive. Now, at the end of the day, uh, you're not you, you can't drag me into a political discussion because I won't do it. I think that um, there's certainly a lot of opinions on the Hill as it relates to you know the long-term, long-term viability of the AC. But I, one as an election official, think they do a lot of good work. Well, it's not even political, in, in fact, because out here in California, the Democratic Secretary of State uh, recently moved to do away with uh, the requirement that. California voting systems be uh, EAC certified. So uh, there's a lot of people who have problems with the EAC, including myself, yet I still feel like we need them. Neil Kelly, I know you've uh, got just a few minutes here. Very quickly, I want to try to get in two more questions specifically about California. Uh, you mentioned you were a fan of post-election hand audits. Uh, Governor Governor Jerry Brown just signed an election bill. You may have been in D.C. when this happened, uh, but he signed this election bill. Uh, that passed almost unanimously, I believe, in the state legislature, AB 840, mandating that provisional ballots and late vote-by-mail ballots here in California do not need to be included in the state's rather paltry 1% manual uh, post-election spot check of paper ballots. So millions of ballots will not be verified to assure that the optical scan systems tabulated them correctly. Many election integrity folks were adamantly opposed to this bill. Do you share their concerns? Well, I, I think I can tell you uh, with my answer that, you know, the fact that I currently include provisional ballots in that 1% snapshot mm -hmm. might, might give you a hint as to how I feel about it. Good. Um, uh, but I understand, you know, I understand the differences of opinion uh, because of how some systems operate and, and, the, and the difficulties of including that. Mm -hmm. And also the way the law currently is written, and, and I'm sure you're aware of this, Brad, that, mm -hmm. that, that that is a snapshot and it's not meant to be a complete examination of the entire canvas. Now, 
I do I agree with that one hundred percent? Not necessarily, because I think including the provisional ballots has has been a positive thing on our end, and mm-hmm. we'll continue to do that. Good, good. I'm glad. To, and and late vote vote by mail ballots that come in. Yes. Uh, yeah, good. Yes. Glad to know it. All right. Finally, I, I've as noted, I've always found you to be very helpful and uh, responsive to public concerns, uh, including my own. Uh, but surely, you, even you appreciate the problems with uh, Orange County's 100% unverifiable, as I call them, direct recording electronic voting systems. I, I call them 100% unverifiable because after an election, there's no way to know if any vote actually reflects the will of any voter. Uh, Orange County is one of one of the few, I think there's, what, two or three that use these type of systems here in California still. Are there plans in Orange County, California, to mercifully replace those systems with paper ballot systems, Neil Kelly. Well, I can't tell you exactly how that's going to end up, but what I can tell you is that... Is that another DHS uh, secret? You can't tell me that either? (laughs) No, no, no. What I can't tell you is is that uh, our timeline is is headed towards the end of 2018 to have an RFP out on the streets to start that process. So how that how that ends up, I can't tell you 100%, but I can tell you that it will not look like it does today. So maybe paper ballots are coming for all voters in uh, Orange County in the not too distant future. There's there's anything's possible when that RFP comes <laughs> back. Okay. Good to know. I'll keep pushing you for it. Neil Kelly, Registrar of Voters for Orange County in Southern and beautiful Southern California. You can uh, get more information on them at ocvote.com. Stop by there. He's very responsive, even though he keeps secrets about the DHS. You can also find him on the Twitters at ocregistrar. Hey, Neil, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Brad. You bet. Okay, quick break and uh, some very quick news on that other election commission, the phony one that Donald Trump uh, is running on supposed voter fraud. That story is next. After this, I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. Without an informed electorate, we've got, well, we got what we have right now. We do our best on the broadcast five days a week to balance that with accurate reporting on issues that actually matter. We don't always get it right, but we try like hell to do so. And we do it all independently and without the influence of corporate or political funding. But we can't do it without you. Please don't presume others will step up. We need you to help us keep doing what Desi Doyen and myself try to do every day on the broadcast. Please help us continue to do so by going to bradblog.com slash donate to help keep the Bradcast going and telling the truth over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. Don't wait. Please stop by today. Thanks. Uh, Welcome back. To the Bradcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Heavy show today, isn't it? Very uh, dense, lots of info. Sorry about that. Let me, let me lighten it up here uh, with a story about child pornography. Oh, dear. <laughs> uh, actually, so the other presidential commission, not the one that Neil Kelly is on. Let me make that clear. This is the other one. This is the supposed Presidential Advisory Commission on Election Integrity which is being run by uh, the uh, Republican voter fraud fraudster, uh, uh, Chris Chris Kobach. Kobach, Thank you. Um, Well, a man who worked on that commission 
was arrested last week after police said they found child pornography on his cell phone. Oh, no. According to the Washington Post, yes. Uh, Remember now, Donald Trump, he hires only the best people. Don't forget. Ronald Williams, too, uh, is from Maryland. He worked as a researcher on the commission. Washington Post reports Trump launched the commission after making after Trump made unfounded claims that millions of fraudulently cast ballots cost him the popular vote in last year's election against Democrat Hillary Clinton. Uh, It's chaired by Vice President Mike Pence and Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach. Uh, The arrest came after police conducted a search of his home. They were tipped off by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. He is charged with 11 counts of possession and distribution of child pornography. He was apparently a researcher on this commission, and he has been fired. I should hope so, as of this week. Uh, But that's not all that's going on with that other commission. A member of President Trump's Voter Fraud Commission, as NPR's Pam Fessler properly describes it, former Arkansas State Rep David Dunn, a Democrat, died suddenly Monday from complications during surgery, according to his office. Dunn was one of five Democrats on the advisory panel, which has been embroiled in controversy ever since it was created earlier this year. Fessler notes the commission has met only twice so far, the last time was on uh, was in mid-September in New Hampshire, and there has been no word on when, where, or whether it will ever meet again. She notes the panel got off to a rough start when Kobach asked every state to send the commission detailed voter data in order to look for evidence of voter fraud. Many states balked, saying the uh, information was actually private. Since then... Some Democrats on the panel have complained that they have been kept in the dark about what the panel is doing. Oh, do you think Democrats who actually agreed to join this commission? You're surprised? Maine's Democratic Secretary of State, one of, uh, well, now uh, one of four living Democrats on this commission, sent a letter Tuesday to the executive director complaining that he has, quote, received utterly no information or updates from commission staff or leadership about ongoing active research, inquiries for research requests, documents for consideration during future meetings, or indeed any information about whether or not the chair has plans on convening another meeting. Dunlop said it was frustrating to learn from reporters this past weekend that a man described as a researcher uh, was arrested on charges of possessing child pornography. It beggars the imagination that my understanding of any activity would come by way of media inquiries, Dunlip, Dunlap wrote. Correct, sir. As we told you from the beginning, you should not participate in this charade. That's what that commission is. I only hope that the uh, DHS commission uh, is not a similar charade. We'll find out. Uh, or at least we'll try to. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Orange County, California Registrar of Voters, Neil Kelly, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. You can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Bradblog. As ever, thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Oh,